Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky with interviews conducted over the years with playwrights, directors, actors, and producers. My guest is Giovanna Sardelli, who is the artistic director of TheaterWorks Silicon Valley. Giovanna Sardelli has been with TheaterWorks since 2014. She is a director, a former actress, and a former magician's assistant in Las Vegas. When I interviewed you several years ago as a director, you did discuss a little bit about that earlier life, which eventually brought you to directing, which is what you've been doing for the past, what, 15 years now? Oh, no, more than that. Two decades? There have been articles and there's a lot of material about what's going on specifically with theater works and the fact that it's teetering right now. Rather than just hit the teetering part, let's go back to the pandemic. Tim Bond was the artistic director. You come out of the pandemic. What happens to the subscriber base? What happened with the money? Well, what we're all, when I say we, because it's happening to theaters across the country, we came out of the pandemic and government funding that had sustained theaters during the crisis itself. That money ceased to exist, but COVID still exists. So theaters still have a hefty financial cost, uh, just in terms of COVID protections, protocols, testing, and then understudies. Things budgetarily that we had not had in the past, suddenly every theater, in order to protect their season, were adding to it. Part of what happened was there was no way to know how many of your subscribers would return. And prior to the pandemic, TheaterWorks had been on a wonderful and rare upward trajectory of adding subscribers. How many subscribers did you have at that point? Do you remember? No, and that is a fantastic question, and I don't know. But you know that it dropped significantly afterward. Yes, it dropped significantly, and you know everyone made their first season with the best guesstimates and estimates they could in terms of who they expected to return and what the costs would be to find that the people did not return in the numbers we expected. Every single cost is inflated. And so for many theaters that the recalibration and then the number of shows that were closed early because of COVID or lost performances in that first year out, it was incredibly destabilizing. Do you remember the show? I I talked to Tim about this, but -hmm. do you remember the show that closed at the time? Was there a show open in mid-March? Do you remember? It was my show. Yeah. I directed the regional premiere of They Promised Her the Moon by Laurel Olstein. And it was like everybody, it was such a beautiful production and a fantastic play. We were so proud of it. And we at least made it, we had opening and then I think we got five or six performances in before we shut down. But yeah, that was the show that was running. At that point, you lose all the money on that show and the money invested in the next couple of shows because they had to be canceled. That would include Ragtime, which eventually came back. 
Yes. And for some of those, you'd already contracted people, you owed money, even though the show, there would be no way to recoup any of the financial loss on the show. And TheaterWorks made some wonderful ethical decisions at the time, which is even though we eventually had to furlough staff, we paid for everyone's health insurance premiums during that time that they were furloughed. So TheaterWorks, I feel really proud ethically of how we navigated the waters through COVID, um, being responsible and um, canceling and protecting people. And coming out of COVID, we, d- we did the same. Did you apply at the same time Tim did? He got it yes. and you stayed. Sure. I wanted the job. I am um, an adult who has never had a full-time job, except for one year outside out of um, grad school. And so when I was applying, Kelly and I were talking at the time, and I remember Kelly saying to me, why in God's name do you want to do this? You have a fantastic freelance career. And I said, I don't know if I do want to do it. (laughs) I think I'd be good at it. I I love the company and it'll depend on what happens. You know, if I'm excited by the AD, I'm happy to stay in my position because I love what I do. And when it was Tim Bond, I was super thrilled at that moment to stay and work with him. And then when the pandemic happened, I was so glad it was Tim and not me. I was well aware that I would be giving up something that at that moment I struck a little fear in my heart. The the idea that I'd be in the same place every day doing the same thing. And look at me now. Here we are. Let's talk a little bit about when Tim left and he took a fabulous job. And yes. given the finances of TheaterWorks, and the ability to suddenly go to Oregon Shakespeare Festival, I guess that was the key for him. The reason he left was because, in some ways, a dream job opened up. It's where his home is. It's where his roots are. And to be honest, I, I think in some ways it worked out well for both theaters. Both theaters have, have a very good chance just based on the historical knowledge we each bring to the respective theaters. So I feel like you know, the gods of theater are looking out. There's machinations in place that are that are ultimately, I think, going to be good. Now, was this season created by you and Tim or by you or you and Kelly? How did that go? We all participated in bringing shows to the table. One of the shows, Queen, had been programmed prior to... <laughs> <laughs> the um, the pandemic. Uh, Mrs. Christie is obviously a show I love and brought to the table. Jeffrey Lowe had been talking about Tiger Style for years. So it's a collective effort, certainly always season planning. Kelly has his hand in a little bit on everything, I would guess. He's, he's, he's kind of the uh, emeritus in a way. He is emeritus. And he's so wonderful in that he respectfully steps back, but is always there if if you need him. And right now we need him. So I'm grateful that he is around and so willing to be a partner. And I just, I feel very lucky that Theater Works has been in the hands of Kelly, Tim Bond, and now me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about coming out of the pandemic, back to that, where the finances hit, and this loss that you need to make up. Three million 
which is about the number that's kind of around what every theater is asking for. Three million basically allows us to complete this season. Yep, the season that we have announced and that we'll be starting with um, Mrs. Christie. It allows us to complete the season and people say, well, why is that important? Because the number of hours, the amount of money and the brain space, the constant reinventing of the wheel that happened last year where you know, you'll know you start a show and then something happens and you have to make a pivot or a change, all of that is exhausting and costs, whether it's human resources, financial resources. So to be able to complete our season gets us off the ropes. Every theater in America now has a season post-pandemic. And for the first time, we have an understanding of the landscape of what this means. And also a fantastic opportunity to look at theater anew. To look, why is it relevant? How do you make it more relevant, more meaningful, more impactful? And so it's this money buys us the time to make the art that we're known for and have been you know, producing for 53 years. The New York Times had an article about what's been going on in theaters that Steppenwolf, which is one of the premier theater companies in America, has to cut back their season. In the Bay Area, several theater companies have closed. Uh, Landmark Musical Theater opened and then is gone already after a season. Piano Fight had to shut down completely. Custom Made claims they're going to have a season, but they probably won't. Cal Shakes did not have a season this year, and they're talking about next year, but it's obviously who knows. One thing I noticed about theater works that concerned me all along, I noticed that at least for opening night, ACT and Berkeley Rep have a much younger crowd than I would expect. The crowd at theater works was old. That brings up the question for you, as someone of the next generation down from Kelly, how do you bring in those people from Stamford? How do you bring in all of the people who are there in Silicon Valley and are not necessarily coming to theater now? You're asking the number one question. Uh, I'm always I'm aware of it when I go to other theaters and I look around the audience and I think, oh, it's interesting. Their audience is younger. Their programming isn't necessarily that different from ours. So what I'm looking to do in the future is really, number one, take care of the subscribers and the donors and the people who have uplifted this theater company for its entire existence and who are now also providing us um, with the money we need to complete the season. I, I want them to always know that we care for them and that we this is their home. They helped build this home. They often, our older audience always says, how are you going to get the young people in? And so we're looking at programming that hopefully appeals to multiple generations. And I think our New Works Festival, which we just did, was exciting because that festival brought in more diverse audiences than we have seen in terms of age, definitely. How was the audience? Was it packed house or? It was the best attended New Works Festival 
we have ever done. And it, I think in part that's because it was celebrating 20 years and also because of the tremendous am- amount of press around the festival itself, because 20 years is an accomplishment, but certainly an accomplishment in this landscape, given what you've just said about how many theaters are closing and how many um, theaters are shuttering their new works programming, because it's the risk part of theater where you may not make any money. You're, you're actually doing research and development. So my hope is that there's momentum from the festival that we can build on into our season and that we're going to work really hard to attract younger audiences. The New York Times article hit on something else, uh, which is the difference between, say, I hate to use the word populist work versus work that's challenging. For me, for example, I look at this and I'm going, well, Queen is pure theater works. Kelly could have done that one. Tiger style, which is Tim Bondish, and we could see that one there. And when you talk about young audiences, I mean, I think Jeffrey Lowe is garnering such a, just a reputation as a stellar director throughout the Bay. And so his uh, Little Shop of Horrors was exactly what you want. It's what you said. The audience was filled with young to older people really have sharing an experience. And I think that's something that play does uniquely well. Your show, Mrs. Christie, is this production a little bit different? Was it rewritten slightly from the original production? Oh, yeah. It was done originally. The world premiere was at Dorset Theater Festival. It got much stronger because Heidi had three years to think about it. And Heidi Armbrister, who is the playwright of this, the play, he was able to stay for two weeks and watch the show every night. Because normally, you know, it opens and you move. But she used that time because the rehearsal period had been so truncated to really learn from the audience and think about the play. And so the version that we're getting has the benefit of all of that time she spent in an audience watching her play, watching how the mystery aspect of it moves, watching how the storylines integrate. We did a Zoom reading a few, I think it was a few months ago, just to check in on the script. And I was so excited when I heard the play again It's better than I remember. It is relevant, meaningful, entertaining. So I I am just so proud to start our season with a regional premiere of a play that I think is going to be done across the country. Well, that reminds me, what you're talking about reminds me of something Loretta Greco over at The Magic once said, which is that a world premiere always has issues and you never know if it can go further until you see the second somewhat changed production because it's in the second and third that it all will come together or not. World premieres are, and that's what's so exciting about them, but they're such a risk. That's exactly right. You're, you're learning how your play is landing in that moment. And you're working so hard to get to opening night that often it's not until opening when everyone takes a breath and you're no longer allowed to rehearse and there's nothing else you can do that you finally go, oh, crud, now I see what I would have done in act two. <laughs> or, so the second production is incredibly helpful to a playwright. And Loretta's exactly right. You take what you learned and you make it 
hopefully better. What she did was she specifically went to places, um, I forgot the name, South Coast Rep is the one that she used a lot, and took their productions and brought them up for the second production at The Magic. And I thought that was an amazing idea. Um, Theater Works has been doing that as well. You know, we always do world premieres uh, because we're known for those, but we often do the second production of a play or a mu- especially musicals because uh, for that very reason, you see the promise in it and you realize, oh, they need another crack at this to really figure out what it is. Why are you doing Spelling Bee? That gets done a lot. Is that kind of the idea that you're going to bring in younger people? For Spelling Bee, one of the reasons I think it's done is because it is so joyful. And to do Spelling Bee at the level that we can do it, with the talent we can attract, and I think that for our audiences, we really wanted the holidays to be a joyful, uplifting, family-oriented time. And Spelling Bee brings a lot to the table. It's really fun. And I listened to the music this morning and was reminded of how much I love it, even though it is something, you know, that has been done. Do you plan to do anything different with it or is it going to be pretty straightforward? It's so funny that you say that. I mean, I think what's different in some ways about ours is um, when Tim picked it and asked James Monroe Eigelhart to come back and direct it was this is the play, the musical that launched James Monroe Eigelhart launched his career. So his love of the story, he has an understanding of this musical that I think is richer and deeper than most people. So for him to be able to begin that work and cast with that in mind, I think the play, he has found a richness to it and a depth to it that might not exist in other productions. Giovanna Sardelli, I mentioned challenging works versus more, quote, populist works. Uh, (laughs) There was a complaint in that New York Times article that too many of the plays seemed to be too difficult for larger audiences, just generally, not necessarily theater works. For me, those are the plays I want to see. I'm wondering about the break between people coming to the theater one or two times a year versus those of us who see a lot of theater. And how do you relate to that? How do you try to create a balance? I think part of it is how you interact with your audience. If you're doing a challenging work, then I think you need more conversations around that to get people excited about what they're going to see, to give them an opportunity to ask questions about the why behind programming. I think there are ways you can take an audience on that journey. I love challenging work. And I believe you can choose challenging work that is also entertaining, that is necessary and vital in a way that an audience, when they're watching it, understands that something extraordinary is transpiring in this room where a story is being told. So choosing wisely, talking about the why behind art is, I think, important. And one thing I think Theater Works has done, the commitment to uplifting stories, I think is important. So that when you leave a theater, there's hope. When you leave a theater, you may be challenged, but you see 
so you see something of possibility on the horizon. It should be inspiring. It should be uplifting. It should be hopeful. Nobody needs to go to the theater to be demoralized. When you're looking for older works, it seems to me that a lot of musicals, for example, and a lot of older plays that might be really good just simply aren't going to make it in the current environment because of women, minorities. And yet, at the same time, we don't want to lose these. How do we do that? When you read classics and you have to look at the racism, the misogyny that existed in some of them and see sometimes there's a historical accuracy that you don't want to shy away from. That's important for us to look at a time and a moment. Um, so is that part of the story you want to tell? Then at other times, I think you look at a piece and say, well, there we can make this more relevant simply by looking at the casting choices or looking at um, the take, what we want to highlight. And sadly, I think some plays will go by the wayside because when you read them, you go, well, they're not actually, there's not enough there there to make them relevant. The, the humor is certainly not going to land now because it's primarily sexist humor or racist humor. And I think those are okay to let those go. <laughs> we don't need to revive those. And the other really good plays will find their way. They will find a reason for them to be done, a perspective that makes them valuable. As a director, do you think it's okay to be able to take a play like, I don't know if you saw this, Cal Shakes did a production of um, Glass Menagerie that was completely over the top with a loud, younger Amanda and a very heterosexual Tom. And then, of course, there's that recent production of Oklahoma where Curly is the bad guy and Judd isn't. Oh, I know. I loved that Oklahoma. For you as a director, I guess you kind of like that idea of being able to turn something on its head like that. Well, the why of it, I think, is important. When I sat through that Oklahoma... That was exciting because here's the thing. Oklahoma exists. I can I can read Oklahoma. I was so invigorated by what was happening, what they were doing, and the, the way I was seeing the story uh, anew. I love that. I mean, I do so many new plays that when a director takes an existing work, like Ivo Von Hove does with so many plays, and gives you an opportunity to meet it anew, I think that's exciting. It's not always successful. So, you know, and again, the why, what is the point? What are you trying to illuminate in this work? How are you using this work? Those are all the important questions to ask, but the, that idea, yeah, that's exciting to me. There's a point in the New York Times article when it was talking about the relationship of subscribers who might want to get four or five plays, that they're now going for individual plays how do you deal with that? And how do you get the word out? I mean, it seems easier to do a program like this and someone goes, hey, great, I'm going to go to all of them. But it's more practical to say, well, this one interests me and this other one doesn't. The New York Times hit upon the question because before you had subscribers who would sign on to you know, your entire six, eight play season, whatever it was, sometimes knowing that not all the plays would please them, I don't know what it was that made people say, I'll do all eight, knowing these are not for me. But now part of what we're learning is people don't plan in advance. 
that's changing the balance between subscriber, single ticket holder. And part of it is getting the word out. Part of it is the importance of press, of word of mouth, of people returning to the theater, seeing the plays and talking about them. All of that is important. We're, like every theater, looking at that balance. There's also the role of streaming. People want to stay home and it's easier uh, not to have to deal with other audience members. TheaterWorks has a much nicer audience to sit with than, say, Broadway SF, with the so-called bridge and tunnel crowd. Being in a live theater is not being in your living room. That woman behind me who kept kicking my chair at San Francisco Playhouse, who began opening candy right behind me, the woman next to me who kept looking at her cell phone. This is an interesting question. What's interesting is we have forgotten how to be in community. I go to the theater and I get so annoyed when it's starting and we have spent hours creating that first moment. And yet all you see are 20 million cell phones lit up in your audience. And you think you're missing the beautiful work that a lighting designer spent hours on. And so the more people come to the theater, the more there are opportunities to talk about what it means, to talk about the art, to engage people so they understand the art starts the minute you enter. That pre-show look, that moment. But we will always have to deal with the the foibles and flaws of humanity. (laughs) We all bring them to the table. And when you get that many people in an audience, that's part of the deal. So there's the people who annoy us, but then there's also interaction. And that's a different story. How do you incorporate that community with the community that's going, shh, there's a play going on? It's a theater's job to make sure there's that all are invited. I grew up in a expressive Italian household that says, oh, oh. Yeah, and so I a policing of response is something that I think is changing, and it's changing as you get younger audience members in. That's part of the world. You want that, and helping other people understand the way you direct a show to say you are held safely in this space. You're not going to miss a joke because somebody's laughing too long. You're not going to miss a plot line because somebody says, oh, you're not going to miss anything. We're all here together and we're all sharing an experience. I think that is a theater's responsibility, challenge, job to let everyone in the audience know we've got you. We're so grateful you're here. And we're all going to be fine together. (laughs) Giovanna Sardelli, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. These are specifically about the shows themselves. Going back to Mrs. Christie, when the curtain opens, what do you see? When that curtain opens, you are in an Agatha Christie mystery. That is what the audience sees. So there's, there's a part of the play that is just classic Agatha Christie murder mystery plot driven. And I think that is incredibly exciting. It intertwines multiple viewpoints at once. Can you kind of sum up that in a sentence or two? It's not so much multiple viewpoints as there's Agatha Christie herself and her life on stage, because the play in some ways deals with that 11 day disappearance, the mystery of Agatha Christie herself. 
And then there's a contemporary character who has gone to essentially an Agatha Christie festival and who is exploring that mystery. So you have those two timelines threaded together and the journey of both of our heroines in their the mysteries of their lives and what they're trying, the puzzles they're trying to solve. What drew you to the play? I love a good mystery. This play is so smart and theatrically entertaining. And I think it's witty and wise and is everything I love about theater. It's a great story, well told. To me, that, that's what drew me to that play. What about your production of Spelling Bee sets it apart from others? I think what sets ours apart is something Theater Works has committed itself to and it, for its entire existence is really heartfelt, uplifting joy. And there is something, there's a lot in that play to be mined beyond just the joyful comedy of it. There's actual depth in who these kids are, who their what their families are, and I think that our production is going to be meaningful, entertaining, and joyful. Queen. Queen was a play we loved. I think that one pre may predate Tim Bond. I believe oh. it was in our season that was canceled. What true theater works to that particular play? Do you remember? I mean, the writing. It's one of the most smartly written plays. Maduri Shekhar is just so smart. And the play is looking at ethics in science, looking at the gender dynamics, the class differences, and how those things align when you're struggling to make great change. And it's looking at climate change, but from this fascinating perspective uh, with cultural specificity. And the conversations are just fascinating in this play. It's about bees, right? Well, yes, and. (laughs) There's an experiment uh, about bees and scientists who believe, I'm trying to think of how to say this succinctly. So it does look at the bee population and how how that can inform us about climate change. If the scientists are right, then that also can lead to necessary change to help us uh, course correct in climate change. And then the question becomes, what happens if there's a flaw in your reasoning, but the greater good is at stake? And how, how you navigate what you know to be right and true and good and necessary with what is actually in front of you. So there's a fascinating look at all of that. Tiger style The information I have on that is it's about tiger parents that are so horrible that the two children have to escape to China. Tiger style is really interesting because it's not about horrible parents at all. In some ways, it's really looking at the stereotype of what people are referring to when they say tiger parenting. What Mike Liu, who's just one of the funniest playwrights, I know. I can't wait to see it and to see what Jeffrey Lowe will do with it because I was laughing aloud through the entire play because of these siblings who are trying, these Chinese American siblings who are trying to understand themselves. Are they Chinese in America? 
how their their way they've been parented has impacted them. And I think the big question is, who are they? Who are they in this culture? When they can't figure that out and they blame their parents, they go off to China to figure out, well, then we must be Chinese. And they get there only to learn, oh, no, we are American. And it's a, a really wonderful play that talks about the answer doesn't lie within a country. It doesn't lie with blaming our parents. When we define ourselves is when we can start to figure out who we are and how we'll move through the world. So that's what makes Tiger Style so appealing. You know, you've got the Wu-Tang Clan in there. I guess the only one I've left out is the Sondheim, right? Yeah. On the Sondheim being alive, that's a new review being put together by Kelly and two others. Billy Libertor, our, um, he's our resident musical director, and he and Kelly have been making art together from the beginning of... Are they leaving possible room for something from uh, Here We Are? I don't know the answer to that. I know they're creating it right now, so I am not, I am not sure. I don't know as much as you know about that piece at all, but I know Kelly will. There is no one like Sondheim. Some people will say, I don't like Sondheim. And then you go, oh, you don't like Send in the Clowns? And they go, oh, they, wait, that's Sondheim? I think Kelly and Billy are going to do something so special because of their love of the man, their knowledge, and the fact that in the review nature, they can pull the best of everything. So I'm, I'm excited by their look at uh, the man and the music and the life of Sondheim. You've been listening to an interview with Giovanna Sardelli, who is the artistic director of TheaterWorks Silicon Valley. Mrs. Christie runs October 4th through October 29th. Which theater is that in? It's in the Mountain View Center for the Performing Arts. And all of the shows are either at Mountain View Center for the Performing Arts or Lucy Stern Theater in Palo Alto. And for more information, you can go to theaterworks.org, and there you can learn also about helping theaterworks in their current predicament. I'm Richard Wolinski on the Bay Area Theater Podcast. Mm-hmm.